Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. I'm so happy that you are here today. I want to invite you, grab your Bible, and meet me today in Psalm 109. We're going to talk about what happens when you give yourself to prayer. Praise the Lord. Let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would quicken, would illuminate the scriptures so that they would be alive to us. Let them leap off the page into our heart and bear good fruit, the word producing 100-fold in our lives. Now, Father, we thank you. We give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. We all agree and say, Amen. We are in Psalm 109, verse 1. This, of course, is a psalm of David. Do not keep silent, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. And we are seeing more persecution against Christians within our society here in America. I do believe the Lord has some surprises, some good things that he's going to do. And I believe the enemy, in a sense, has overplayed his hand. And we're going to begin to see God do some very special things for his people. Verse 3, they have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. Isn't that fascinating? Fighting against David without a cause. Now, verse 4, in return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Now, this psalm, in a sense, many Jewish scholars believe it's in reference to a certain person that was very close to David. We'll cover that a little bit more in just a moment. But it also has overtones that would be messianic of things that Christ experienced in his own life, such as verse 8, let his days be few and let another take his office. So even as David went through a great betrayal at the worst possible time in his life, so the Lord Jesus also ventured through this betrayal with Judas, let his days be few and let another take his office. And we know that the days of Judas were shortened, that he killed himself. And we know that another person took his office, his apostolic office was replaced. So we see a lot of prophetic shadows of what's coming. Many of the difficult things that the Lord went through, the attacks, uh, the hatred that was against him, but he stayed on his assignment he went to the cross, and he got it done. Praise God. And so we are blessed today, and we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Now, again, he's talking about all of the hatred, all of the betrayal, and we also have perhaps what we could call more of the literal contextual meaning of verse 8, let his days be few, and let another take his office. And many of the Jewish sages, the rabbis, believe here that David is addressing the betrayal of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel, for those of you that are familiar with his story, was the king's top advisor. I mean, this guy was brilliant. He was wise. He was smart. And his counsel, it was like if he shared something 
I mean, you could take it to the bank. It was like, it was almost like on the edge of supernatural type counsel. Everything that he said to do or would recommend to do, it would always work out the right way. And so we're talking about Ahithophel, but when Absalom rose up to betray his father and persuaded enough people to join the rebellion, and then the rebellion, uh, the rebellion went in the full swing mode where uh, the conspiracy uh, it worked in a sense where he took uh, temporarily the throne and David is on the run for his life with his small group of loyalists while Absalom is taking over the throne. And in David's most trying moment of his life, guess what Ahithophel did? He joined Absalom. And so that was a, an extremely uh, cruel blow dealt to David at the lowest point in his life. And so I think it's very important at what we're looking at today to understand that we know the value of wisdom and God places a high priority on walking in light, walking in wisdom. But I believe that you can still be brilliant. You can be even genius level intellect and you can be able to counsel and advise others with good advice, but you can do all of that. But if you have some areas in your life that are not, that are not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then you can still run my friends into trouble. You know, it was uh, years back when I ran into a minister, a very well-known minister, and uh, I met him behind the scenes uh, at a television studio, and we were both doing some things for TV. And uh, we talked just for a few minutes, and he he appreciated the anointing that was on my life, and at the same time, I could appreciate the different type of anointing that was resting on him. And he said something to me that no other older type minister had ever said. He said, Stephen, he said, at this stage in your life, he said, it's very important that you begin to get a good grasp on the wisdom of God. And God wants you to walk in his wisdom. And I knew when he said that, that was something that I had hungered for and I needed to venture further into. And so he prayed for me because it was all over his life. And he was a very wise man. Well, Pastor Stephen, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Where's he at today? Are you ready for this one? Right now, he's sitting in prison. You can have a lot of wisdom. You can be a pretty sharp, smart cookie. You can be an Ahithophel where you're advising the king and all of your advice is good. But my friends, if you focus on some of these areas that can be a, uh, they're supplemental. You can get into into these areas where you begin to come lopsided spiritually. And if you're not careful, you'll start to drift. And we never want that to happen. That minister was a good man of God, but he got off track. He had tremendous wisdom, but uh, he deviated from something that we want to talk about today. And because of that deviation, uh, his heart began to deviate away from the Lord. He began to cheat on his taxes. 
Uh, sometimes he wouldn't file or report certain taxes or income. Other times uh, he, re- he made up some of the wildest fraudulent tax forms and filled them out. All, they're all fake and false and turned them all in. And he got busted for all of that. And he'll probably be in prison for a few more years. So we need something more than just wisdom. We see something uh, that I think is fascinating in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now listen to this concerning the wisest man that ever walked on the earth outside of Jesus. Now, when we're also talking about the wisest man, uh, and we're referring to Solomon, you have to understand that that wisdom that he had, not all of that in a sense is spiritual wisdom. A lot of it was natural wisdom. I mean, he could lecture on all types of things. He could lecture on plants and animals, but really, after you've heard him talk about animals and plants, now from today's perspective of being born again, which they didn't have that back then, of being in the new covenant and having the the life and the nature of Christ imparted into you upon the new birth experience, you know, there would probably be a point where if you were back in that time and you had this same experience, you would probably say, now Solomon, this is really nice. I've really uh, enjoyed you lecturing on the hyssop plant, and I've really enjoyed your talk on the leopard, but can you tell me about kingdom living and how to live and walk in the Spirit? Well, (laughs) no, (laughs) he did not have that type of wisdom, and that's the type that we need to have. That's the type that is a higher dimension of wisdom, and uh, it's spiritual. Look at verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. This would be Solomon. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. This was a man that had unlimited financial ability to explore anything natural that he wanted to as far as, uh, you know, the pleasure of like, I wonder what this is like. I wonder what that's like. He was able to do all of that. Verse 2, I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? Verse 3, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh. That is not the higher form of wisdom. He's going to explore ways to gratify his flesh with wine, he said, while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly. So he had this ability to retain that incredible wisdom that God gave him, but yet while he's holding that, retaining that wisdom, he's going to explore folly, and he's going to explore how to, uh, you know, pamper the flesh and things like that, and that is what got him into trouble. Verse 9, so I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. While he's exploring how to gratify his flesh with wine, he retained that wisdom. While he's exploring how to gratify his flesh by building a new swimming pool, he's retaining all of that wisdom. So he's indulging in all of these things, but he still has this ability to govern the kingdom and to function in a way where he can carry on about business. But, but he's drifting. He's drifting. So we need to remedy the shortcoming of being brilliant. 
We need to remedy the shortcoming of being very wise and prudent and even able to help others by giving them the right answers. And by the way, that's what Solomon could do. He could tell others what they're supposed to do, (laughs) but yet he himself was deviating from making those applications to his own life. Now, we need to find out what will stabilize us more than what wisdom alone can do. And we find that actually back in Psalm 109. Let's turn back over there. Psalm 109, and let's go to verse 4. David said, In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Now, let's dig into this just for a moment. Those of you that are Bible students know that when you're reading through the Old Testament, which is written originally in Hebrew, or if you're reading through the New Testament, which is originally written in Greek, if you see something in italics, it means that it's not there in the original Hebrew or Greek. The translators added a few words to help bring out the context of the sentence. Sometimes adding those words helps. Sometimes it can actually diminish the punch of it because while they're trying to help us to be able to relate it to an English mindset or a Western mindset, it could miss the thrust of what's being said. So let's look at it and what it literally says. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I, notice, give myself, give myself is in italics. That means it's not there in the original Hebrew. What is David actually saying? But I, but I prayer, but I prayer. He basically just moved into a place under this tremendous uh, stress and pressure that he was under with the uh, overthrow of his, of his kingship by his own son of all people. He just thought, Lord, this, this is beyond my ability to fix this. This is not good. And my son is trying to kill me. And so he just became prayer. What else could he do? He just became prayer. He's praying all the time. Praise the Lord. And this really will do some very unusual things in your life when you begin to touch this. Look at it again. But I prayer. But I gave myself to prayer. But I prayer. Wow. Praise the Lord. He became prayer. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Stephen? He became prayer. Well, I I believe he just got caught up uh, in this prayer life with the Lord, and it was so blessing him that he was able to sail through that difficult time, pop out on, on the other side, get his kingdom back, get the throne back, and then put everything back in order the way it's supposed to be. Now, what if his son Solomon had developed a prayer life like his father David had. Can you imagine what that would have been like with that wisdom coupled with a deep walk with God? Uh, uh, You're talking about a golden age of Israel. That would have been, well, that would have been very much messianic type overshadowing for sure. But Solomon had uh, incredible natural wisdom. He could touch a little bit of that divine wisdom, but 
that is a higher level where it's spiritual wisdom, praise the Lord. And so he could not really, in the sense of being under the Old Testament, get into that. But David was able to have an understanding of that because of his deep prayer life. Praise the Lord. Now, when you enter into a new level, you still encounter the same devil, but his tacks, his attempts to get at you, they actually can become more sophisticated. And that's why when you are moving into the next chapter or the next season of your life, you need to have extra time. It might not even be the norm, but you need to have extra time where you just give yourself to prayer. Praise the Lord. And when you do that, when you do that, you can get through some very interesting times. You know, uh, there was a man that lived in the fifth century and his name was St. Simeon. He lived in what is uh, known today as modern day Syria. And he was known as a stylite. Actually, he was the first one. And uh, that can be translated as one who lived on a pillar. So he started a movement and, and the movement really didn't start until uh, at the very latter part of his life, and that is death. But he started a movement of what became known as the Pillar Saints. And although I don't know if there's any today that are actually, uh, that would have a ministry like that, yet in the fifth century, there were hundreds, literally, that followed in his spiritual footsteps. But St. Simeon, he was a hermit monk. And he just wanted to get close to the Lord and serve the Lord. He was admitted to a monastery at the age of 18, but his his personal disciplines were so strict that the other monks thought, you know what, you'd be better living on your own. <laughs> your, your demands are too high, even for us, and because his influence was very strong. And so he left and eventually had the idea of living on top of a pillar. I'm just talking about a tall column. And over time, over the decades, the column, the pillar, got higher and higher and higher to where the last pillar that he lived on, uh, I think that one was about 60 feet tall. And he never came down. When he lived on these pillars, he never came down unless, you know, like maybe every uh, seven or eight years, he's moving to a different one. But his feet never touched the ground. He never came down to use the restroom. He never came down to eat. He stayed up there day and night, 24-7, out in the desert uh, with 140 degrees in the summer and freezing temperatures in the winter. And day and night, he lived up on top of that pillar. But he developed a very deep walk with the Lord. And after a while, people began to seek out his counsel. And he would preach once in the morning on top of the pillar. And then in the evening, he would preach a second time. And so crowds begin to come. Uh, because of his deep walk with the Lord, he had, he had answers. He had wisdom. And so kings, believe it or not, began to show up in that very remote, desolate place. And they were, a king would be there with his entourage, sitting on a horse, talking up to Simeon, who's up on the pillar, saying, hey, this is my, this is my challenge. I've got a war with this nation. You know, what would you advise me to do? And he was able to have the mind of God to counsel and advise uh, these men and many other people, many great uh, ladies, great queens and princesses. They also came. 
And so uh, there was quite an unusual following. But you know what? Uh, you can get caught up in, it, uh, in counseling and advising and doing all of this stuff. And you, if you're not careful, you can start to lose your edge. And the enemy, please listen to me today, he never takes a vacation. <laughs> Even if you take a vacation, he doesn't take one. Now, there, there are the rest of the Lord. There is Psalm 23 where the Lord prepares a table before us in the very presence of our enemies. So yes, we can take a vacation. We can sit down. We can relax. We can eat. But at the same time, remember, he is looking for weak spots. He's looking for, uh, uh, perhaps we could call it chinks in your armor, and he's not going to attack. He's not going to launch something against you when you're at your, at your strongest. He's going to come when you're at your weakest, and that's what he did to Jesus. When the Lord was right at the end of the 40-day fast, he had burned up all fat reserves. He had no more. He's at a very critical place where the body will begin to start consuming its own uh, muscle tissue. If you don't eat, it's a very dangerous spot. And so that is when Satan launched his attack. So he doesn't play fair. He plays very strategically. Don't think of the devil as being somebody dumb or stupid. He is a supernatural creature. Now, yes, he is defeated. And yes, his place is beneath our feet. But you have to walk in the spirit because he can be very cagey. He can be very tricky. And so you, you want to make sure that even if you're like Solomon and everything's rolling along really well, don't drift. Stay close to the Lord like David did, and you'll, you'll get through even very difficult times. Now, St. Simeon, uh, he got so busy because uh, the people are coming from all over the place, and they want his prayers. And, you know, and the amazing thing is that when they would give prayer requests and he would take them, the ones that he could take, they would always, the people would get miraculous answers. So this guy was very solid. And uh, one day though, while he was up on his pillar and this, you know, he had had this moment of, or these, these, this season of maybe we could call it popularity or fame and people are coming from all over the place to seek his counsel and stuff like that. Well, one day, while he was on top of the pillar, and uh, this was like in between the crowds, so there's there's not really anybody uh, watching kind of what's going on. He was up on top of his pillar, and he was standing up there. And uh, by the way, the top of the pillar that he lived on was no bigger than this desk that I have my Bible, my coffee cup, and my notepad. It was no bigger than my desk. He could, it was not even long enough for him to stretch out. His feet hung over the side. <laughs> there was just a tiny little railing about that high that would keep him from blowing off when those desert winds and the desert storms would blow through. That way he wouldn't get swept over the side. But outside of that, he was just up there. Well, Pastor Stephen, how did he eat? Well, they say that he had a little rope and uh, he had a he, uh, he had some spiritual disciples that would uh, you know they would tie a little bag on the rope and send some food up. But uh, as far as how he went to the bathroom or whatever, I'm not really sure how he did all that. But we do know one thing: he never came down. Now, one day he was up on the top of the pillar, and while he was standing up there, a chariot pulled by horses on fire swept down from the high sky, swept down, came, and Elijah, the prophet, was in the chariot. And this chariot pulls up next to him while he's standing on top of the pedestal, on top of his, you know, column, 
And Elijah says to him, step in. I have been sent from God to take you to heaven. And Simeon thought, this is it. This is what I want. And he lifted up his foot to step into the chariot. And the moment he lifted his foot up, suddenly the chariot vanished. The horses that were on fire that were, that were pulling the chariot vanished. Elijah turned into Satan. And it was Satan playing a trick on him who had attacked him at a moment of his weakness when he had been so busy with ministry. And Satan laughed at him and mocked him. And then Satan left. And Simeon, who had lifted his foot up to step into the chariot, said, basically, if I could paraphrase, the devil got a big one over on me. And, and Simeon was so upset that the devil had done that to him that he'd never put his foot down because he had put, he lifted his foot up to put it over in the chariot. He never put his foot down ever <laughs> for the rest of his life. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. So can you imagine standing on top of a pedestal, you know, six stories high uh, with one on one foot? Well, that's what he did for the rest of his life because he understood that when you're in these certain levels, you have to be very, very careful because the devil is very, very sneaky. Praise the Lord. And so you have to become prayer. Praise the Lord. There is a time you have to just send the crowds away and say, I need to go pray. Mm-mm. Prayer, as David discovered, it brings peace against what can even be supernatural persecution. There's persecution, but sometimes there's even supernatural persecution that you know this is not normal. This is persecution inspired by the evil one. Prayer also brings answers to very difficult problems. And we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 17. I like this, so let's take a look at it. 2 Samuel chapter 17. Well, let me look at verse 15 just for a moment. Verse 31, then someone told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And while the counsel of Ahithophel in a sense was never foolishness, God still turned it to something better because, because Absalom was, he was a flesh guy. So if you could pamper him and flatter him, he's going to go in that direction, even if it's a wrong decision. And that's exactly what happened. So Ahithophel again had offered good counsel to Absalom, basically saying, go take out your father right now. You could, you could end this whole thing right now and it's over with, and you could rule and your father, you know, you just, you know, have your, have your men put him to death. And so uh, it, now if he would have done that, uh, it would have been the end. But of course, we know also that God has a covenant with David. So it's, this is not going to go well for Absalom either way. So um, David had a man on his side, Hushai. And David basically, basically said to Hushai, look, it's going to be better if you stay here, stay in Jerusalem, and pretend that you're going to become loyal to him, but see what you can do to basically cause a train wreck. <laughs> and, and trust me, that's exactly what Hushai did. And we see that 
over in uh, chapter 17. And Hushai gave his counsel. And it was it was a fake counsel, but it buttered up Absalom, and he loved it. And Absalom bought that counsel. And uh, really, I believe Ahithophel could see through it, because what took place is when Hushai gave his counsel, he's buying time for David to escape. And it worked, and it worked. And when Ahithophel saw it, he's like, uh-oh, this is not going to work out now. The, the thing's over with before it has already even got started, and he knew that. And so we see in Second Samuel 17, verse 23, Now when Ahithophel saw that his, that his advice was not followed, he saddled the donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. He committed suicide. And he was buried in his father's tomb. My friends, David was a man of prayer. And David just went in the prayer and God turned the whole thing. Praise God. And I believe that as you give yourself to prayer, as you in a sense become prayer, God is going to do the most amazing things. This year holds tremendous potential for you. But you need to get in there and really pray and don't let life distract you. We all have responsibilities. We have things that we have to do. But we also have other other time where we can make choice of how we're going to use it, how we're going to spend it. And you need to find that extra time and really pour it into prayer. You know, I was talking with a friend, a theologian, uh, the other day. We had coffee. And he used a term I had never heard before, and he said, this is what some of the other theologians call these guys. They actually called them super saints. I said, I like that. That's actually, uh, there's truth in that statement. And we begin to talk about one of these men, for example, Smith Wigglesworth. And I, I'll give you an example, but I want you to understand that when you begin to move into the deeper walk of prayer, the supernatural does start becoming natural. And you can move into it a lot sooner than you think when you really give yourself to this lifestyle of walking with God in prayer. Oh, yes, wisdom has its place. Wisdom is going to help you live life skillfully. But you're going to need more than just that wisdom. You're going to need a deep prayer life or else that wisdom will start to become intellectual only. And then it can degrade to even soulish wisdom. And then it can go even further down to becoming the worldly wisdom. And we know from what James said in James chapter 3 that the type of worldly wisdom is actually demonically inspired. So that's why you can't deviate from your prayer life because you will start to drift from the Lord who is your anchor. So stay close. Praise the Lord, especially in this time where God is lifting you up, Woo! because I see you scaling to new heights. Praise the Lord. And the enemy, he also sees that. So you must keep your prayer life very, very strong. Mm -mm. Don't be concerned about the other Christians who are out there running around. Uh, they're not really concerned about... Uh, you know, one day they'll have to stand before the Lord and give account for their life. Some of the, some people live their life. Uh, I'm speaking of Christians. They live it very, very loosely. They live it very loosely. They give no thought to eternity. They're only focused on the carnal realm of this world and uh, getting ahead and success and things like that. And there is an awareness of where you you do want to do well in life, but the the true 
blessing and the great joy is walking close with the Lord. So don't let anything, even busyness, disrupt that or pull you away from that. Well, we were talking about Smith Wigglesworth the other day, my friend and I, and uh, you have to understand these were different types of ministers. You have saints, but then you have others that are just, they had something different. Talk about Smith Wigglesworth just for a moment. Did you know that in one of his meetings, he prayed for a man that had no feet? So at the end of his legs, there's stubs. There's no feet at all. And Wigglesworth laid hands on the man, prayed for the man, and uh, said, it's done. Well, the man looks down you know, at his feet. There's, there's, uh, there's no feet. And Wigglesworth says, it's done. And the man had a little bit of a puzzled look on his face, but the man had faith, but he's trying to, he's trying to understand the operation of faith. And Wigglesworth just looked at him and said, it's done. So go buy a pair of shoes. Mm -mm. You, You understand you can't do that. If you're not in that prayer closet, you can't, you can't give statements like that, or you're gonna have a lot of people mad at you. If you're not really walking with the Lord, where the Lord's going to back that up. And so Wigglesworth tells the man with no feet, I've prayed for you. We believe it's done. God's done the miracle. So you need to go get a pair of shoes. Well, he gets in his wheelchair. The man does with no feet. And he goes down to the shoe store where they sell men's dress shoes. And he rolls in there in his wheelchair and uh, comes in there in front of the men's shoes. And the salesman says, um, he said to him, sir, can I help you? And the man said, yes, and kind of looked down at his feet. And the salesman said, oh, okay. And the man in the wheelchair said, he said, I want the color black, size nine and a half. And the man said, okay. And he goes to the back, gets a pair of dress shoes that are black, size nine and a half, brings them out, kneels down, takes them out of the box. And when he did, feet popped out. Two feet popped out. Now, tr- try, try telling somebody to go do that with no prayer life. <laughs> Woo! See, do you, do you understand there's a place where David knew, give yourself the prayer. It'll override all this stuff that uh, th- th- this is God's own stuff. This is going to take the Lord to make this right. Praise God. And yes, we need to walk in wisdom. But I've met some brilliant men in my life. I've met some brilliant ministers that were brilliant, apostolic, administrative, um, just they, they had a flow. But because I'm not really staying really close to the Lord in prayer, uh, they had some things happen that, that even their great wisdom uh, did not prepare them for. So that's why you have to walk close to the Lord. Mm-mm. This is helping somebody today. Praise the Lord. And I believe that as this company of Eagle Saints begins to rise, we're going to see more of these miracles, such as what happened in Wigglesworth's life, where he's touching that area where it takes a lot. Uh, I would say I would be more def- uh, definitive. It takes everything to maintain an anointing like that. You cannot have an anointing like that and go out and just run around and live your own life. You, you can't do it. You'll lose the anointing and the miracles will stop. Here's another one. 
my friend, were he and I were talking. So we talked about Smith Wigglesworth. And then we talked about Padre Pio, another man that just his whole life was given over to prayer. And so one time while Padre Pio was at the, um, of course, he was there all the time, you know, there at the monastery. Well, one day a lady uh, had her son die in, in a different city. And he was a young boy. He was, he was actually a child. I shouldn't say a boy. He was a child. But the child died, and she realized he's dead, and she realized the only thing that can, that can help my situation is to get him to the man of God. I've got to get my dead child, the Padre Pio. So uh, she lived quite a distance away, so that meant she was going to have to take the train. So she put her dead son in a suitcase, and carried the dead child uh, in the suitcase on the train. <laughs> I don't know how long it took her to get there. It was a long time. It was a long trip. Eventually, she gets to the monastery, and uh, you know he he would have a five o'clock in the morning mass every morning uh, there at the Catholic uh, uh, at the sanctuary there at the monastery, and people would come and so forth. And uh, anyhow, she gets there. And she's got the suitcase, and she opens up the suitcase, and the dead child falls out. And there were, there were witnesses. One man who witnessed it said, he said, if the child had not died, you know, the previous day when she left on the journey, he said, I'll tell you one thing, he'd have died in that suitcase because there's, there had been no way he could breathe. He was just, I mean, it was a dead body squished into a suitcase. And uh, when the child fell out of the suitcase, she just broke down. I guess her faith had reached the limit. And she began to weep and to cry. And Padre Pio picked up the, the dead child and just held him in his arms. And the woman's crying and bawling and stuff like that. And he said, woman, would you please be quiet? You're going to wake up your son who's taking a nap. And everybody looked, and the child is breathing. And the child's sleeping in his arms. <laughs> child went on to live a long life. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Crazy, crazy miracles. But but these are people, Wigglesworth or Padre Pio, you just can't run around all day and goof off. You can't you can't do your own thing. Now, yes, they had responsibilities. These are men that are working all day. They had they had a demand on the anointing all day, but in their free time, it's what you decide to and choose to do with it that will make the difference of you moving over into the supernatural, where the natural becomes supernatural, and the uh, the ordinary starts moving into the extraordinary, and you start seeing God do the most unusual things in your life. But yes, there's absolutely a price tag for it. And again, we saw it very clearly in Psalm 109, verse 4. But I give myself to prayer. So he basically said, but I prayer. That's what it is in the Hebrew. He just became prayer. And yes, that that prayer begins to activate all of that word that you have in you, all of those promises from God that you have in you, and it all becomes alive. Praise the Lord. And it starts moving, and it starts moving, and it gets going. But once it gets going, if you want to keep it going, like a train going down the track, uh, even if you turn that engine off, it's still going to roll for quite a ways because of the momentum. But don't ever turn the uh, the engine off. Don't ever stop praying. If you get into that, what else is there really that's worth coming out of it for? Well, Pastor Stephen, hurry up and finish the meeting. I've got things to do. Well, like like what? 
to like go watch a TV show that's, you know, full of baloney or something like that. People get caught up in some of the most unusual things sometimes, and they give God a little snack. They give God a little attention, and then they wonder why they read Bible stories, and it seems so foreign that how could that be? But my friends, God's bringing back the miraculous. God's bringing back the supernatural. And there were those, even in the Old Testament, who touched that that anointing, touched that deeper walk. He had men like David. Really, the only one that came close to David was King Hezekiah, who was also way up there. He he was a follower of the Word of God. He would, I mean, to to a T, he was a very strict follower of what God said to do because he knew that if if you did it, you're going to get blessed. And if you knew, he also knew that if you do it wrong or you disobey, it's going to allow the enemy to come in and cause trouble. So he was determined to live for the Lord. So those two men, they had that that special touch, but you can move into that special touch. It's not like it's something that is, uh, you know, you're born with only and you have it or you don't have it. In the realm of horses, there are what are called super horses, uh, but it's determined at birth and you either have it or you don't. And those that study equine science or the science of horses and their their uh, their anatomy and their hearts and so forth realize that the super horses all have what's called uh, the X gene it's the super gene and uh, the the world's fastest horse secretariat had the X gene or the super gene man of war they said also had that X gene and so the super elite race horses they have it and what it does it causes an enlargement of heart and that horse may look just like any other horse, but what the other horses don't realize and what sometimes people don't realize is the super horse has a heart that can literally be three times bigger than the normal horse. So he has ability to uh, not have all that lactic acid build up and all of that stuff that causes you to tie up when you run and you sprint real fast. He could just keep on going. So when everybody else is struggling, he keeps on going. But that's something that's genetic and is extremely rare. But there is something in the spirit realm, even with the super saints, if we would put them in that category, men, women, that you have to admit there was a difference. There was a difference. What does it come back to? It comes It comes back to a decision to just spend time with the Lord and to stay in that consistency of that month after month, year after year. And it is, it's not easy. It's very, very demanding. One of the great saints, I would put him in that category too. He was something special, was John Vianney, the French uh, Catholic priest who had a phenomenal walk with God and miracles just like all the time, all the time. But he hardly ever slept. And about the only thing he ever ate was potatoes. And uh, matter of fact, uh, there were times when the demons and evil spirits would get so angry at him because of his uh, his purity and uh, the moral lifting that he brought to the entire community that uh, it could be heard. Others could even hear evil spirits yelling out at him, potato eater, we hate you, you potato eater. <laughs> Once a week, he would get what we would call a crock pot, and he would cook a bunch of potatoes. Uh, and then once those potatoes were cooked, he would just eat a few 
every day. And uh, those that uh, saw him said that he would eat so few that the potatoes that were left over usually were moldy or stuff like that because he would hardly ever eat them. But then after every week, he'd cook a few more fresh ones. But he just had zero interest in this world or the spirit of the world. Or uh, th- There was a, a train, uh, a railroad that they put about a mile from the church. And back in those days, the railroad was like, I mean, that's like having, uh, you know, uh, you know, NASA parked next to you where, you know, with the leading uh, technology. And as much as he wanted to see it, he never allowed himself to go see it. He just stayed in that place uh, of deep prayer that kept that anointing just flowing continually. Mm-mm. I see those. I see those who are willing to pay the price to walk into the deeper life and to touch this area that David discovered where he became prayer. And it's a place that turns apparent defeat into the sweetest victory. It's a place that turns weakness into strength. It's a place that turns not just your life, but begins to radiate out into the lives of others and affects Others wanting to serve God. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. I see it happening. We see it in the New Testament. Here's a closing verse. Let's go over to Acts. Acts chapter 6. There is with a growing ministry and a growing church, and they certainly had it growing in the first century there in Jerusalem. I mean, it was exploding in growth. You're having sometimes thousands being added to the church every single day. And with that, you have all of the, uh, all of the demands upon the leadership, particularly upon the apostles. Uh, verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Let me t- tell you something that you need to understand. Uh, it's not right for your pastor to come over and fix your broken door. Well, he, he has some carpentry skills, Pastor Stephen. He needs to come do that. It's not right for the pastor to come over and mow your lawn. Well, Pastor Stephen, he needs to show, show himself that he has a servant's heart, and he needs to be over here mowing my lawn. No, he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to be down there washing the, ditches, uh, the dishes at, uh, at the church cookout. He doesn't need to be doing that. What does he need to be doing? Well, verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. That would be the distribution of food. Verse 4, Peter says, But we will give ourselves, we, the apostles, we will give ourselves continually. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, can you imagine if Peter just said, You know what? I think I'm going to take a year off from ministry. I'm, I'm just tired of having to pray so much. I'm tired of having always preach a message and come up with something new to share. <laughs> I just got, I'm going to take a year off. Me, me and John are going to take a cruise. <laughs> oh, the enemy would have uh, the enemy would have hit them, and uh, and would have been able to touch them. But when you stay on assignment, when you stay in pursuit of the Lord. And what he uh, reveals to you as your inheritance, you stay in a very safe place. Praise the Lord. My friends, you don't have time to be running around, goofing off, wasting hours and hours and days doing silly things. You must run with 
the Lord, and you must press into this. Now, here's the, here's the thing. You will find that you can get into it, and, and there is a, a pull. And I've talked about it before on messages called the slipstream of heaven, because when you get into it, uh, it creates a, a vacuum that starts to suck and pull you along. But it's your choice to stay in it, because while you can be pulled in it, you'll have everything under the sun offered for you to do. Usually in sports, if you have a team that wins, let's say like the Super Bowl, the moment that team wins the Super Bowl, you'll have players, usually the stars, the ones that help the team get to the Super Bowl, you'll have those those players offered TV contracts, commercial opportunities to make millions and millions of dollars. And the more, the more those members start, you know, taking advantage of all of that, the harder and more difficult it becomes for them to repeat the following year. And that's why it's so hard to win back-to-back championships. Why? Because the moment you become a champion, you have reached a place that very few do. But to continue in it, where you're consistently right there vying for it every year or winning every year, that's a different story. But those that maybe we could call them the super saints, those that just lived it all the way up until their last breath, they they understood what David knew, and they also took heed to what the apostle Peter said, we will give ourselves continually, continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word And there was a time later in Peter's life when he had let that slip. He had let the minister of the word slip. He had let his close walk with the the Lord slip in prayer. And the next thing you know, here's Peter, the rock, compromising the core truth of the gospel, which is that the good news is not only for the Jews, but it's for the whole world. And here he is acting like a hypocrite in front of of the Christians who are not Jews. And Paul has to stand up. And Paul said even uh, Barnabas got swept away with the hypocrisy. But Paul had to stand up and say, Peter, you're acting like a hypocrite. And I'm sure the moment Paul said it, Peter knew it was true. I think it probably brought Peter relief. And Peter was like, you're right, you're right. I'm... I've been swayed by all the politics and ministry, and I, you know, I've, I've had great success. I mean, you see him in Acts chapter 5 where he's walking and people are getting healed who just get within proximity of the shadow, of his shadow, because the anointing coming off of him was so strong at times <laughs> that when he was under that anointing, you got within that shadow range, you could get healed of whatever it was. So that, that's a phenomenal anointing. But my friends, you see him later. You see him later in the book of Galatians where Paul has to address the situation that that Peter was wrong. Praise the Lord. So we must continue because the enemy, he doesn't take a break. And you must stay strong in the Lord. Now, our focus is not the enemy. Our focus is the Lord. But we must continue on this journey because we're going to see the glory of God. Praise the Lord. This is also a breakout year for so many of you. So you're going to have to really push. These breakthrough anointings and miracles don't happen with just half-hearted, half-baked type effort. You must give it your all. 
you must give it your very best. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are watching who are not satisfied because they sense their elements of complacency that would lure them to not make the effort that is required for the task at hand. But I pray, Father God, that they be stirred in their hearts to be moving towards this category that others set such a high standard for us to follow. And throughout church history and throughout biblical history, people like Enoch, we thank you, Father God, that that door is open for whosoever will, for whosoever will push into it. Now, we thank you, Father God, that even though the enemy tries to distract and hinder, often through persecution, such as we saw with David and the betrayals and these painful things that even the Savior went through, Father, we thank you that there is a remedy, and that's being close to you in prayer. So, Father, we just give you praise. We thank you for turnaround situations. I thank you for those that are in very difficult spots. You're going to help them walk right out of it. But the wisdom they're going to get is not uh, found in some book that's a secular book written by a so-called wise person. It's going to come out of their prayer time and uh, their time with you, and it's going to come out of the word illuminated, and they will walk right out of it because you're walking with them. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you. I see dreams and visions accomplished this year. Hallelujah. And Father God, this, this year is a setup year for the next 10-year plan. And so we give you praise for what's unfolding. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father God. We thank you also for just being able to enjoy being in your presence. Because in your presence is fullness of joy. Thank you, Father. Strengthen your people. The press in, even though there could be a great lack of evidence of seeing it perhaps around them amongst other Christians. But Father, I thank you. I'm speaking to the eagle saints who are called to soar, who are not destined to be just uh, in the chicken realm. Father, we thank you. We thank you. They're, they're called to soar. So we thank you. They're mounting up with those wings right now to pray. We give you praise, Father God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You know, uh, Kelly and I were together the other day, and we were driving somewhere, and we decided, well, we've got a little ways to go. Let's put a message on. Let's listen to a message. And Kelly said, let's try this one. And she pulled up a message that was uh, kind of like a classic old message that uh, was taught by a minister who's alive today. But, of course, he's a lot older today. And uh, he has a very large ministry. And we began to listen to the message. The moment we listened to the message, which was a very old message, the moment we listened to it, we were just like, the anointing on this message is through the roof. This is incredible. So we were like, wow, his teaching back then, if I could say it maybe humbly, the anointing was like a hundred times stronger. I mean, the anointing, uh, and there was a moving of the Spirit, of course, back then too, that was riding on that move, that movement. My goodness. But the preaching was just like the anointing was through the roof. And today, you know, sermons are still good, but the anointing 
uh, back then was just like, I mean, it was electrifying, even on the old message. Wow, praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Stephen, shouldn't, shouldn't it still be there? That's the challenge for all of us. Look, not just for ministers. I'm talking about the anointing for whatever your career field is. It's not to just have an anointing that's strong, but to maintain it and to stay in that place where it's being very, very beneficial to people. Woo! Praise the Lord. Wow. Well, you know, when I heard the difference, because I'm very familiar with this man's ministry, and I heard what it was like all those years back, I was just like, uh, Kelly and I were both like, what happened to him? How do you go from that to what it is today? Now, today, the ministry has all the bells and whistles. It has, you know, it has uh, plenty of money and stuff like that. But I, I mean, it put the fear of God in me when I heard when I heard the difference, because if you play the modern messages today, they're, they're nice, but they have, they're, they're nothing compared to what it was <laughs> when the power of the Spirit was riding on that ministry. So what's the, what's the difference? The difference is that you can pull out of that super category, and you can get into a category that's still anointed, but um, it takes uh, takes everything. That's why there's very few that actually get into it and hold it and maintain it at very, very high levels. Mm-mm. And by the way, when you do, trust me, the enemy knows he will do some of the most craziest things you've ever seen. They're actually supernatural. He can come in supernatural ways. I've had him do it to me, some of the cra- most craziest, bizarre stuff. Uh and even the Lord was tested. The Lord was tested. So you have to be ready. You don't want to just let yourself go spiritually. You always want to be in that very close place every day. You can't take a break. Praise the Lord. When you get to heaven, you can take your spiritual vacation because you're finally in a spiritual place. <laughs> but right here, we're walking through what is actually the valley of the shadow of death. That is this earthly realm with its fallen nature of man and in which also Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So you want to stay close to the Lord every single day. Father, bless your people. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Praise God. If you're watching today's program and you don't know Jesus, whoo, the great Eagle Saint. Hallelujah. The, the standard setter for any believer, for any person who was always on it. I mean, uh, he, he pushed himself, and there, there's an anointing. Uh, and even Paul talked about the energy of God that empowered him to do uh, a level of work that was really beyond the other 12. Um, but my friends, you have to understand, God has a place for you. If you don't know Christ today, the door is open for salvation. But you must receive him by faith. If you would like to do that right now, pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, you died to save sinners, and I'm a sinner. And Jesus, you died to save me on the cross. You gave your life for me. So, Jesus, I choose you now. Come into my heart. Wash all of my sins away. Write my name in your book of life. And I give my heart to you. And I claim you, I take you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you for saving me right now. I give you praise. 
Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Woo, glory to God. Welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. You're born again. You're washed with the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, live for the Lord. Develop a prayer life. Mm-mm. And start serving the Lord right where you're at. Praise God. And let's take Holy Communion together as a church family. Praise the Lord. Grab some unleavened bread and grab some grape juice. You know what? You know what I see the Lord doing? I see the Lord making a saint out of you. Not an ain't, a saint. Mm-hmm. Pastor T, but I just want to get to heaven. I'm not really concerned about, you know, uh, anything extra. No. God wants you to have rewards. God, the Father, wants you conformed into the image of His Son. And that's why you've had unusual dealings in your life. That's why your life hasn't been normal. Because God, He wants you to step into this. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. I get many emails of those of you who've had unusual heavenly encounters and supernatural experiences, and uh, you, you used to wonder, what was it about? Why, were, why was I blessed to have something like that happen? Because God is offering you opportunity to step into this, and He knows the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, but He's determined to get you into that place. He just needs your cooperation. But I believe as the light is uh, opening it up, this path, and you see the great value of it, and you also see how short life is, Woo! praise God, that you're taking it, and the journey has begun. He's going to get you there. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Now, let's pray over the communion. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it. We set it apart as holy. And we thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. When we look at it, we still see a wafer. We still see grape juice. But Father, we thank you. It is the body of Christ under the veil of what would appear to be bread. And it is the blood of Christ under the veil of what would appear to be grape juice. But we thank you, Father, for the body and the blood of Christ. Father, as we receive the Lord's body, We thank you that we proclaim his death until he comes, that through his death, he made available for us everlasting life. Thank you, Father God, that we have been born again on the inside. And Father, as we receive the body of Christ, we thank you, Father God, for that understanding of David, that he became prayer. And we thank you that you are forming that within us. Oh, God, we give you praise. Father, we give you praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, when I was young, growing up, I was uh, I, I would hear about the missionaries who would go to other countries. They leave everything behind. They leave their food that, that, that they liked behind to go eat food that you know they weren't accustomed to, and they would leave their culture behind and have to go learn a new language and a new culture. And we all felt so sorry for them. Oh, they're ma- making such a sacrifice, and they were making a great sacrifice. But the reality was. They're over there living a rich, intimate life with the Lord, and they actually felt compassion for us. 
because they knew they had tied into something. And you don't have to be a missionary to to encounter this, but they knew that through the crucified life that they had come into the deeper life experience of what joy really is. Woo, praise the Lord. It's being close to the Lord and living for him and having your life laid down. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Father, we receive the body of Jesus in his name. Amen. Let's partake. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus, his cleansing power. Father, we ask that if we've committed any sins, that you would forgive us and wash all of our sins away. Thank you, Father God. We thank you that our sins and our iniquities you remember no more. We thank you, Father, we ask that you protect us, that your force field of protection, your angels be around us. Thank you, O God. Thank you, Father. And Father, we ask that as we walk with you, that you would work through us to bring deliverance to others that are bound in captivity. We give you praise that you send us on assignment. In Jesus' name, I see you going on assignment. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's receive the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know what? Back when the uh, Brownsville revival was really rolling uh, down there in Pensacola, Florida, um, you know, the West Coast wanted it too. So they sent some of their leaders out to the West Coast. And I remember I was in one of those meetings in Orange County that took place and uh, they were talking, you know, the leaders from Pensacola were talking about the revival and the move of God and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the need to pray to, uh, you know, to see it uh, come forth and all of that. And um, one of the ladies there in, uh, in the church, I knew who she was. She was actually one of the um, one of the elders. She's, she said she asked a question to the Pensacola leader, one of the leaders. She said, you know. You guys are talking about all this prayer and stuff like that. And she said, I don't just, I don't know how we're supposed to have time to do this, do this kind of praying. And, you know, the leader just said, he said, well, I don't know how you're going to live your life. But he said, I would probably suggest it. You know, if you don't have enough time, maybe you could first start looking at, at the television, how much time you spend watching television. And of course, he's not talking about Christian TV. He's talking about just the hours and hours that most people spend downloading, you know, worldly movies or downloading all the stuff that the world offers to feed you uh, through the eye gate and ear gate. And uh, there, there are some people like that lady, they're just, they're not going to enter in no matter what. Even, even if all you have to do is pray two minutes, they're not going to do it. They just don't have that hunger. But I see a different heart in you. I see that you're not satisfied with the world because the world can't satisfy. Solomon found that out. And eventually, Solomon, although he got into idolatry, eventually got back to the Lord. Oh, my friends, that's why prayer is so important because it keeps that open line between you and the Lord. Praise God. Mm -mm. 
and I see you in that place. Woo, praise the Lord, with very unusual things happening. Glory to God, glory to God. You know, when I go into meetings as a minister, and if, if I'm being hosted somewhere and they're, they're asking me to come, I'm going to go into the meeting prepared. I'm not just talking about study notes and things like that. I'll have prayed. I'll have set time aside to hear from the Lord, and I'll go into that meeting with an anointing. But what a difference it makes when those in the meeting are coming and they're prayed up and they have sought the Lord and we're all pulling together. Wow. There's nothing stronger than a corporate anointing. There's nothing stronger than that. See, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put not two thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. So you enter into this quantum realm when you enter in a corporate unity. Woo, praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Now, even in a in a corporate unity or a collective body, there's still leadership. But when you're all pulling together, the strength just goes off the chart. And what God can do in situations like that is uh, truly, you know, it's, it's in the miraculous realm. I see God doing these greater manifestations of his glory. As when we have these times of getting together, we all come together ready to pull. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Ready to get spiritually fed? Yes. But also just ready to see God move. You come hungry. It is very, very hard to get a fire started with wet wood. I mean, you could pour gasoline all over it, but um, that's, that's you know, the bottom line is if the wood is dry, it, it's going to burn. But if it's wet, I mean, you're, it, it's hard. It's really hard to minister to people that are wet wood, green wood. But my goodness, we need to be ready for the fire. We need to be on fire, Mm-mm. hungry. And I see that when you are hungry, you have that pursuit of the Lord. Glory to God. I see you pressing into that realm. Father, bless your people. The Eagle Saints are rising up. And not only is there prophetic anointing that's flowing, but the apostolic is going to begin to break forth because there is now going to be a greater emphasis. And it's already started to happen upon the apostolic. Woo! Glory! Glory. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, it was maybe, I don't know, maybe like uh, 10 years ago, I spent the day with uh, Bob Jones and Bonnie Jones, his wife. And I had this thought. I had a thought in my mind. I never said it. I had a thought that was an apostolic thought. And it had an image associated with that thought. It had a word picture, okay, a, a distinct image. And Bob Jones was standing next to me, and he said, Stephen, it's not the time of the, and he named that image. He said, right now it's the time of this. Well, that was 10 or 12 years ago. And so the, uh, what was in that season at that time, uh, it's shifting now, and it's going into what, I was thinking about, you know, a decade ago. I, I was hoping a decade ago we were going into this. And he said, no, he said, it's not that. And he didn't even know I was thinking about it. He just starts talking, praise the Lord. And also, doing things like that comes out 
of maintaining that close walk. I had another pastor friend. I could just sit around him, and he would bring up conversations of things that I had talked to the Lord about. And usually he would do it at very specific times when it was needed and would always bring tremendous encouragement to me. But my friends, we're going into uh, the greater manifestations that are uh, that are going along with the apostolic. Get ready. Mm-mm. It's going to be quite exciting. And as it begins to unfold, we have to we have to stay in that niche. We have to stay in that walk. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Praise the Lord, Father. We give you praise. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, praise the Lord. Mm -mm. I've had ministers say, Pastor Stephen, how come you don't play golf? Uh, I just tell them, well, because I would probably like it. (laughs) That's why I don't play. (laughs) That's, That's the last thing I need is another thing pulling at me. So, that is the challenge we all face. Maybe uh, for you it is golf. For me it's not. It's not even a temptation. But there's always all these other things. Mm-mm. Life is good. But please don't ever forget you'll have all eternity to do this stuff. Okay? So right now, make the sacrifices and spend the time with the Lord, and you'll get into the good stuff, which is really the real living. Father, bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching. See you back next time.